On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, Scott Urquhart joins me to chat about the U.S. election and poppy scandals and health issues and baseball players getting in trouble or not and all kinds of other stuff. Stick around. You'll enjoy it. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I got to tell you, the guy that we've got coming in right now has been here many times before, but it has been a long time because for years you saw him on CHCH. And then, you know, things happened. There were those, you know, things happened at CHCH and his life changed a little bit. He moved on, tried other things. And now you can see him again. He is back where he should be on the air discussing Hamilton issues on the Hamilton Network on Cable 14, one of the hosts of the Hamilton Network. His name is Scott Urquhart. Sir, welcome back. Glad you're here. Scotty, I'm glad to be here. It's been a long time. Thanks. It has. I, I, I knew you couldn't stay away forever. I knew you could not hide forever, <laughs> that the lure of TV cameras would eventually call you back. Uh, you know me better than I know myself. What can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> why, why did you decide? I mean, we're glad you did, but what was it that finally made you say, you know, it's time to come back and do this again? Oh, you know what? It, it kind of came out of the blue. I wasn't planning on anything. Um, something opened up at, at Cable 14, and I got a... Uh, message from a contact of mine and said, would you be interested? And I thought, yeah, what the heck? So, um, yeah, I put my name in and, um, uh, they, uh, they took me and, uh, the rest is history. As I say, had you missed being able to discuss issues and be involved in the, in the process as it were? Yeah. It, it's the discussion part. You're right. The discussion part was, uh, what I missed the television part. Nah, not so much, <laughs> you know, but I, I, I am curious. I do like to talk to people. Uh, I do like to get into issues. So that was, um, that was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. Well, and, and, you know, a lot of the stuff that's going on in the world now, and we're going to talk about over the next while, uh, certainly world issues, but my goodness, your timing to come back and even be involved in Hamilton issues with the Hamilton Network is the name of the show. Um, couldn't be much better. I mean, it is, it, it, there's, there is a bottomless well, it seems, of stuff going on around here. Oh, yeah, things are happening. You're right. Uh, I mean, whether you want to talk about COVID, which we have endlessly, or whether you want to talk about uh, what's going on with the city, now we've got a possibly contaminated soil on top of a reservoir. Uh, You know, there are so many issues, and that we're not even going to talk about uh, uh, what's going on down south. I mean, that is dominating everything right now. Is it is it like riding a ho- uh, riding a horse or riding a bike or whatever you would have ridden in your in your past? I mean, is it is it that easy so just to wheel. jump back on? <laughs> um, yeah, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't that hard to get back on. I think the thing is uh, really not so much the um, the technical parts of it. I mean that that is like riding a bike. After you you climb back on, it only takes a show or two, and you're right back into it. Um, but the other thing is always stays with you. You know, the 35 years in journalism, the curiosity always stays with you. And the, what about this? And what about that? And I'd like to find out more about whatever that never goes away. I have to also wonder anytime I've been on cable 14 and I've been on a bunch of times or anytime I've been on CHCH, uh, you know, it is, it is always amazing to me how many people see those shows. And I'm wondering how many people have come up to you since you've gone back on and said, where have you been? <laughs> yeah, there, there've been a few, there's been a few. Um, I, I don't know. I, I have never been, um, 
really all that keen on spotlight. I I don't know whether you know that about me or not, but I, I am not uh, a really an outgoing person. I'm kind of reserved in, in my own fashion, and uh, people can't believe that. So when they recognize me, I'm always surprised, actually. It, it comes, uh, oh, you know, like a, it's a pleasant surprise. And um, I, I'm just glad to have the opportunity, like I say, to keep my brain working and to ask questions and uh, to find out about stuff. That's really the, the allure of the whole thing to me. The other side I should ask you is, and I know I've talked to Jamie West, who has not been on, uh, Jamie was on the show here last week or the week before, but he has not been on CHCH now for a decade and a half. And he says he still has people come up and say, oh, I love you on CHCH. You oh, must have that too, of people who oh, still yeah. think you're working oh, absolutely, there. Absolutely, absolutely. And and people still think I'm working. You're right. People are, There are still people out there who think I'm still at CHCH. So I guess I, I don't know how often they watch it because I've been gone for six years. <laughs> but, but, I mean, they, they, they remember me from a, a, a stint I did God, it's got to be a decade ago anyway, um, where I did a segment called Irked, which was kind of a, a consumer affairs sort of thing. And uh, it was it was a brief stint on that. It, it lasted maybe a year at the outside. And um, people still come up to me and ask me, oh, Irked, you know, and it amazes me every time. I can't believe that anybody remembers that. Well, it, you know, you've got the perfect name for something like that. So, you know, it, when you get that, when you've got the title to go with it and the name, I mean, it's going to work and it's going to click with people. It's even though I, I did realize today, as I was jotting your name down here, uh, that you have, your name is Scott Urquhart. It should not be that difficult. It is impossibly difficult to figure out how to spell your name. Only one T in Scott that throws me off every time. And then figuring out where to put the U in, in with the Q and the H. It's anyway, I finally figured it out, but it took a while. Yeah, yeah, the, it's uh, it's a bit of a jumble, uh, and people <laughs> people ask me, you know, what my native background is, and when I tell them Scottish, they find that hard to believe. Um, but yeah, it's it's a, an old Scottish name, and uh, yeah, there's too many U's in it, too many Q's, you know, <laughs> and but, not uh, enough T's. Yeah, yeah, not not enough yeah, anything. I uh, I promised myself that um, if I ever had kids. I would never do what my father did to me and give them a name that was hard to spell, a first name that was hard to spell, because uh, their last name was always going to be trouble. And then I turned around and named my son Reed, R-E-I-D, and uh, he's gone through the, in- the same thing for his entire life. So there you go. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I am always puzzled and it doesn't happen very often, but I'm always puzzled when companies or people or politicians or whomever can find themselves in a disaster of a PR situation when they start tampering with the idea of wearing poppies. And so today, when I read the story that Whole Foods, the company called Whole Foods, essentially, as we understand it from employees said, you can't wear a poppy to work. One employee said she was told by a supervisor wearing the poppy would be seen as supporting a cause, which I kind of think is the point. Nonetheless, um, they said this would conflict with our new uniform policy, so you can't wear it. Uh, They have since, of course, changed tact this afternoon when apparently the entire country announced they were going to boycott the place. How is it possible, Scott, that someone in the company who makes decisions doesn't see the tsunami that's about to bear down on you if you make a call like this? 
Yeah, it's mind-boggling, really. I mean, it's one of those situations where you really go, what were you thinking, you know? Um, I, I don't know that whoever they've got in making this decision knows anything about Canada or, uh, you know, it's Veterans Day in the United States, of course, it's an American-owned company, but they obviously do not know uh, the market here and the people here because that is, you know... Yeah, they got rid of Don Cherry, and that was bad enough. But to try and take the poppy away? Are you <laughs> kidding me? That's not going to happen. But even if it's an American company, and you're right, it's owned by Amazon, it's owned by Jeff Bezos ultimately, but surely even if the edict comes from somewhere south of the border, there are people up here who would say, wait, I, I think you're not catching on. Give this some sober second thought, because you have to understand how important this is. How is there nobody seemingly in this country that either didn't speak up or wouldn't have the power to speak up. It just, it, it seems mind boggling. It really does. I mean, if they've got executives on the ground here, if they've got people, um, I, uh, you know, obviously running their operations on this side of the border, you'd think that they might've had a hint about uh, this particular uh, day and what it really means um, to the people of this country. Uh, I mean, we're not we're not outwardly patriotic uh, people as the Americans are, but when it comes to uh, to veterans and um, uh, our remembrance, uh, John McRae's great poem that, that inspired all of this uh, was it was he was a Canadian. You know, all of that yeah, to say that no, we're not going to let you wear poppies. It just, you're right. It seems mind boggling. I can't fathom it. There was a, a suggestion that was made in some reports that this falls in because there was an issue with people wearing Black Lives Matter apparel and other things, other, again, the word causes. And look, this this is, we don't have the time today to delve into the whole Black Lives Matter issue, whether, I mean, I think we all agree with getting rid of racism, whether you agree with the capitalized group Black Lives Matter or not is something else, but is it not abundantly clear to anybody who lives and works in this country that poppies hold a unique place apart from any other symbol? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely they do. And uh, as I say, you know, in Flanders Fields was, was John McRae's poem. Um, and that resonates with Canadians far more deeply than uh, something else might, you know. Um, so to, to say, no, you can't wear poppies, uh, and, and you know, the, the heritage of this country is, is, uh, significantly still British and, uh, Scottish and, and what have you, uh, that's where poppy, the whole tradition of the poppy originated was in Britain. Uh, people hold that dear. They, they had, it's been passed down from, uh, one generation to another. And uh, anybody that doesn't get that about Canada uh, really needs to go back for remedial Canadianism 101. Yeah. And even if you're going to take the opinion that you're a pacifist and you're anti-war and all the rest, I, that's fine. I mean, you're entitled for sure to hold those positions. But the poppy is, I mean, yes, it's kind of a symbol of what happened in war, but it's a symbol about sacrifice. And the poppy represents people who are no longer here. If you're going to have those positions and you want to fight that battle, take it up with the people who are still alive and still able to have a say. That, that I think, becomes the big problem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, the people that that poppy symbolizes 
are no longer here, and it's up to us to remember them. And that's what the, the design of the poppy is all about. The red is the blood that was uh, shed and sacrificed. The black is those uh, who are missing, who will never come back, who died for the the peace that we enjoy. Mm. Um, and that's that was the basic design to begin with. So to say that, no, you can't remember those who sacrificed for your country and for their for your freedom. Yeah, I, I just don't get it. I just do not get that one bit. And and we got to go to a break, but it always it's very simple, and I I know it's probably too simple, but it always does strike me that the fact that we have the freedom to fight about things like this come from the fact that those people sacrifice. So even if you don't believe in war now, your ability to have this discussion and make these kind of decisions exists because of them. So. You know, uh, it, it, it's it's really not that difficult. I, I'm I'm stunned. I, thankfully, they turn it around. But you're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are still waiting to find out who is going to win the election south of the border. It is looking more and more like it's going to be Joe Biden. But and there is a big but that's attached to this, and that is that heading into this election, it was widely believed, widely believed that this was going to be a huge blue wave, that Biden was going to win in massive numbers because of the anger, disgust, whatever word you want to use with Donald Trump, that he was going to be the fulcrum that would propel Democrats not just to win huge margins, but also to take the Senate and to have full control of all three levels of American government. Well, as I say, it looks like Biden is going to get in, but in many, many, many of the states that he is even going to win, the margins are razor thin, and not only are the Democrats looking like they're probably not going to win the Senate, but they lost seats in Congress. And Scott, one of the things that I have found really interesting about this, um, apparently there was a call among Democratic politicians yesterday, and the House Majority Whip, Jim Clyburn, along with others, says the problem is that we scared off voters with some of our more extreme positions, the defund the police, the socialize this and socialize that and the new green deal and everything else. And the message that he is saying is people want more centrist governments. They don't want extremes. And if we had positioned a more centrist platform we would have probably won with those margins. Do you agree? Do you think people get scared off by the extremes and as a result will vote even against their better judgment or against what they really want because they're scared of what might happen? Absolutely not. 100% not. And I'll tell you why. Um, exit polls all over the United States showed that the voters, as they left, wanted a national health care system. They wanted the right to abortion. They wanted many of the uh, measures that uh, some of the more extreme so-called elements of the Democratic Party promoted. Uh, Bernie Sanders group, uh, um, Ocasio. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Yep. Exactly. Thank you. Um, they all, all the exit polls showed that this was what many, many voters were thinking as they left the polls. Now, just this week, I happened to uh, interview the local chair of Democrats abroad here in Hamilton, and uh, I asked him directly, do you think that the um, Democratic Party needs a heavy revision, like a real makeover? And he said, absolutely, it does. 
And uh, I said to him, you know, after last year's or last 2016, after that election, and then the results out of this election, it look, you guys look like the gang that couldn't shoot straight. And he said, you're right. He didn't argue at all. And an interesting, interesting article in The Guardian uh, this week, just right after the election, pointed out that the Democratic National Committee, the people who are running the Democratic Party, are doing exactly what's been called in, insanity. They're, they're using the same formula, hoping to get a different result. And their thought is that if we're more like the Republicans, we'll get more votes like the Republicans. And that is absolutely the wrong philosophy, in, in my view at least, because they've tried it twice, and it's been disaster on one occasion and near disaster on this occasion. It's pretty clear that there's a shift in voters out there, and it seems like those who are running the Democratic National Committee, the centrists on the Democratic National Committee, don't get it. But I, I let me let me push back a little bit because if I look at the at the electoral college map right now, yes, you have those views that you've espoused in New York, in California, in Illinois, Chicago area. But th those views, you push hard to the left and and the Green New Deal and defunding the police and all the rest. You're never going to win the states in the middle, and probably. Uh, Take Donald Trump out of the equation, because obviously he was such a flashpoint in this. Probably you don't win Georgia. You you make the the uh, Green New Deal and probably Pennsylvania with all of their oil and other workers there. They don't go Ohio. I mean, there's a lot of states that I think all of a sudden say, wait, we're not for that. And then you can't win. Well, Green New Deal is a whole different ball of wax altogether. And I'm sure that's that's an idea that's going to take some time to sell in the United States. Although Biden uh, has already said that he's bringing the U.S. back in the Paris Climate Accord, which mm -hmm. is encouraging at least. But uh, there's an interesting map out on um, uh, Facebook as well on a, on a meme. And it says, uh, land doesn't vote, people do. And if you look at what has happened in the election breakdown in the United States right now, the red states, going right through the middle, the heartland of America, are the states that are the least populous. There are the least number of people in those states. Uh, the blue states, the ones that make or break an electorate, are all the most heavily populated states in the United States. Georgia, even, and, and you mentioned Georgia as a, an outlier. I don't think it is an outlier. I think things are changing, and mostly because of the city of Atlanta, which has grown exponentially in the last decade and is filled with uh, people who are, in, in at least in American terms, liberals. We would still call them conservatives, but uh, they are far more liberal than the traditional residents of, of Georgia, agricultural rural Georgia. And that has made the difference. That's what made it close in, in Georgia to begin with, was were the people of Atlanta who voted overwhelmingly for Biden. Yeah, we're going to see because uh, clearly, um, as I say, a number of stories talking about this conference call with all the Democratic politicians, and there is clearly a schism within the party. You've got, as you uh, point out, the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez group and the squad, as they're called, who are pushing hard to go way, way, way left, and a lot of other politicians in less 
um, progressive, less liberal states who are saying, wait a second, we're scaring people away. Uh, that's going to be, you know, we always talk about infighting in the Republican Party. I think you're going to see a lot in the Democratic Party to find out what the soul of that party is and where it goes, uh, which could have huge impact going down the road. How do you resolve this? If you're with the Democratic Party, how do you resolve this? Well, I, I think it is being resolved to some extent, uh, Scott. It, it's already underway. Um, uh, it, the squad, as, as you mentioned, with uh, Ocasio-Cortez and the gang, uh, they picked up like-minded members. Uh, in the House this this uh, election cycle, um, there will be a larger squad when they get back to Washington. Uh, that's already there. Bernie Sanders, two weeks before the election even unfolded, uh, I think you probably know, went on Jimmy Kimmel and predicted exactly what was going to happen with this election. He, he said there's not going to be a blue wave. It's going to be very close. Uh, and, and that... Uh, Trump would try to undermine the system. That, like, it was eerie how accurate he was uh, two weeks before the election as to what was going to unfold. So certainly there is a very strong wing of the party, uh, and I think you're going to see, um, perhaps not quickly, but soon enough, you're going to see a change of the guard in, in the Democratic Party. And they may not go as far left as uh, as Mr. Sanders or Miss um, Cortez wants to go, Casey Cortez wants to go, but they are going to certainly step left, I think, within the next uh, election cycle and certainly within the next decade. One of the words that a number of the politicians are reported to have said they just blanched at, they got such blowback from their constituents in a lot of these states. And again, we're not talking necessarily California or New York or Chicago, uh, because, you know, those are obviously very liberal places or Seattle or Portland, but the word socialism was such a, a flashpoint. And the, 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 some of these democratic, including, as I say, the house whip was saying, we, we can't, we just, we, we cannot go down that road. People will not accept that word. Now, whether you want to talk about the word or the concept, that is a word that Ocasio-Cortez and, and that group are very comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm looking going, you've got half the politicians saying, you know, yeah, we've got to be Democrats and do our progressive thing, but how progressive? And if you start throwing around words like socialism, those people who are independents are sitting on the fence a little bit, um, you're going to scare them away. Well, certainly that's a hangover from the McCarthy area. There's no doubt about that. So, sir, socialism is a pejorative in the United States. Uh, but I, I think I credit uh, Mr. Sanders with bringing that word into the discussion and taking it from the shadows into a more um, mainstream light. And people are talking about it now and starting to say, well, what is really wrong with democratic socialism. We look at countries like Canada with a nationalized health system, or Britain, or France, or every one of the other, uh, you know, Western nations that that currently form uh, the liberal uh, order in the world. All of them, all of them, 22 of them, with uh, national medical programs. The United States is the only outlier. They start to look at things like um, uh, women's rights, and uh, all of those countries, again, support them, except the United States. And a younger generation of people coming up in the United States is starting to question the wisdom of their parents and grandparents, and they're asking, 
what's wrong with this? What's wrong with this picture? So, uh, as I say, I think they're going, the Democratic Party is going to be forced to take a step to the left. It may not be as big a step as uh, some of the people inside the party want them to take. But I think if they follow the path they've been following and continue to bring forth this centrist, which is really conservative sort of philosophy in the United States, they're going to continue to lose voter share. Their biggest concern inside the uh, the Democratic National Party is that it will drive away the big money from corporate donors and from businesses. But as we've seen through politics uh, throughout the ages, companies don't really care what party you're from. They'll donate to either party and sometimes both. It really depends on what they think they're going to get out of it. And if they can see some benefit to going in the direction the Democratic Party wants to go, they'll come along. And you know what? You you, you said something a moment ago um, just before the break, and that was that the U.S. is still, I would say, and I agree with you, more conservative as a whole than Canada is at this point. And yet here in Canada, we've never elected an NDP federal government, certainly not a Green Party government. Even we up here have been clearly uncomfortable with some of the ideas that go way to the left of the ledger. And so, I mean, I I look at the the states and think if you're already starting from a much more conservative position, it's going to take so much longer and more convincing to believe that those are ideas we'd be comfortable with, uh, to spend trillions and trillions of dollars on reworking the entire energy sector and getting rid of, you know, gas powered cars. Like they're talking about banning in California. They have banned, I guess, starting in 2030. I think Mm -hmm. it is in California and other things. I just, it's, it it is, um, if I'm a democratic politician in one of those heavily, heavily progressive States, I'm all for it. But if I'm in one of those States that, that maybe Joe Biden is going to win by a sliver I'm probably looking going, that may have been winning because people hated Donald Trump, not because they liked our policies necessarily. And that would, I think, make me very nervous if I was a Democratic politician. And I'm sure that's where the line is being drawn. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. There is talk now from consultants and others that it is time for the city of Hamilton to invest some money into Wild Waterworks, which is our water park. I'm sure you know it. It's by Confederation Park on the off the highway there as you're driving along down through the city. Um, needing upgrades. They are saying, I mean, it's still structurally okay, but if we want to keep this as something that is drawing people in the summertime, time to put some money into this thing. Anywhere from $5 million, which would just essentially clean it up and, and make it, well, as I say, clean it up, right up to $60 million to make a new park entirely that would attract all kinds of people or the preferred number that the consultants are suggesting, $40 million that would add some new attractions and new rides and make it great, apparently. Uh, Scott Urquhart, the 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 flip side of this is city councillors are saying, yeah, thanks for bringing this to us at this worst possible time in the history of our history with COVID and everything else. What do you do if you're city council with this? Well, I, I'm, I have some mixed feelings about this, Scott. i got to be honest. Um, on the one hand, uh, you know, I have great nostalgic memories of, of uh, 
the park, having taken our kids there summer after summer after summer. Um, and, and it's nice to have that facility uh, nearby. On the other hand, um, what the heck are we doing as a municipality running an amusement park? Uh, that doesn't seem to make really a lot of sense. I mean, if, if private interests don't think a, an amusement park can survive there or thrive there, and they're keeping their money away, why are we ready to throw $40 million at it to, to turn it into something that there is certainly no guarantee is going to be um, the kind of attraction that, say, Canada's Wonderland is for sure? Um, I don't know where to go with this. I don't know whether to say maybe it's time that we think of something else for Hamilton, or maybe it's time that we look for private interests to get involved. See, that's or, Scott, let me jump in. Cause that's where I've, I don't see in the story here or anything, the idea that they've gone looking to sell it to private interests and whether there's anybody who would be interested, maybe the people who run, um, what is it? Great Wolf Lodge or some, you know, some, or Wonderland or something, uh, w- w- maybe could you find a private company that would say, yeah, we'll take it. Yeah. Somebody, maybe not as, as big a player as, as runs, uh, Wonderland certainly, but something, uh, an organization that's midsize and runs midsize parks and, uh, might be interested in picking it up might be a perfect fit and why they haven't gone out and, and explored that, um, you know, to see if there is any interest to begin with, uh, it seems a little odd. Yeah. And, and for the, for the record, so people understand this consultant says that if we do it, 5 million seems to be the minimum, if the city is going to keep this going at all, although it says that it's going, if we only do that, it's going to cost more and more money to maintain and eventually probably will lead to its closure. So if you put 5 million in, you're really almost flushing 5 million down the toilet. It's just keeping it alive for some period of time. So really we're talking about somewhere between 25 and $60 million as an investment. And I like, I I'm with you very torn about this because I don't know, Scott, if you, if someone was coming to visit Hamilton and not, and they were a friend of yours and they said, Scott, we're coming. We want to have a list of things to do when we come to town, some tourist things to do. What do you tell them? What, what is on your list of tourist things that you tell Dundurn castle, probably, um, yeah. Maybe drive by Tim Horton's field, uh, <laughs> some waterfalls. I mean, some honestly, waterfalls, yeah. uh, what, what's on your list? It's really tough, though, because Hamilton has never been that tourist destination. It has, it, that's not its history. That's not its heritage. Um, there are some wonderful things here in Hamilton. And uh, I've always uh, said to my friends, it's the best kept secret in Canada. Um, and, and people from, you know, outside of Hamilton are starting to see that and realize it, and, and they're moving here by the, the thousands. Um, but, I mean, we have, the, we have a wonderful natural resource in the escarpment, the mountain running through the, the city. Uh, we have some wonderful uh, waterfront that we are developing and, and is, um, I think, in the future going to be really the crown jewel of the city. Um, but should we be into the amusement park business? I mean, we we look at the, what's gone on downtown with, with Cops Coliseum and the convention center and all that sort of stuff. Eventually we conceded 
that we needed uh, private interests to get involved because we could not carry that burden infinitely. And I think the same is, is going to be said uh, for the Waterworks Park. You know, that we cannot carry uh, that kind of burden. We cannot run an amusement park to a level that's going to attract people from uh, outside of Hamilton. We can't afford that. Especially not, as the, not especially not with a, th- what, a five-month season, maybe? Four-month season? Maybe. Yeah, maybe exactly. I, the only thing I would say, and, and we got to go to uh, the news break here. The only thing I would say, and, and I'm not looking to spend this kind of money, but we're taught one of the options is $61 million. That would be an entirely newly designed park. You know what? If you're going to do that, spend 90 million and build an indoor place somewhere downtown near all the stuff that we're apparently going to build with the convention center and the arena and, and where it can be used year round, make it like a wild, like a, a, a great wolf lodge or something. I'm not proposing that, but I'm saying, look, if you, if someone decides we're going to spend 60, spend a little more and do it right. So it can be used all year round. Cause right now I, I, I just don't, I don't see it. And I'm not proposing that by the way, it's, 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 it's the, it's the, oh, if we're going thrift, to, God, you spend thrift. <laughs> I know it, it, my, my, my parents always taught me years ago and I we got to go is that if you're going to buy a ticket to a play at a theater somewhere, and I don't go to the movie uh, theaters that often, if you're going to spend 50 bucks for a seat in the back row behind a pillar, spend 70 to get a good seat. Why throw away your money, spend a little bit more to get a way better quality something. Well, that's what I would say here, but uh, I, right now I, I don't know how you defend spending anything on it. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We heard uh, this week that, in the last couple of days anyway, that uh, Teresa Tam, the head doctor in the country with the COVID situation, um, has now said that Canada Canadians should wear a three-layer mask and now says that COVID can be transmitted through the air. And this is something, these are things that the World Health Organization said was the case months ago, but Canada has resisted going along with until now. And there's an awful lot of people who are experts and critics saying, what has taken so long for us to get to the same point and to make the same suggestions and warnings and everything else? You know, there have been a number of these issues that have gone on over the time of COVID. And I know it's a moving target, but what is your level of confidence or what level of confidence should we have that we are on top of this thing? Well, I'm not going to recommend to anybody that, uh, you know, I have any idea of what level of confidence we should have. But my own level of confidence is um, fairly strong that we uh, we are doing pretty well here uh at the start of this eight nine months ago um finding people wearing masks was uh a a sort of a rare thing now i go out and uh, finding people without masks is a rare thing and uh that i think is a is a big step forward most people that i see out there are ready willing and able to comply with what the government uh, suggests and um, in that vein, actually, I'm a little disappointed with the Ford government for this new rating system of green, red, yellow, because I don't think most of us are going to be glued to the radio, newspaper, whatever, saying, what level are we at? What does that no, mean? It, it reminds me of the, uh, the the terror rating system that was once upon a time exactly. in play. and. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's a little complicated, you know, as opposed to even if you had a scale, like a, 
what would work better? I don't know. If you said we're on a, we're on a seven, would that be more helpful than saying we're in a tangerine? I mean, I don't know. I, it's, uh, I think there's ways to do this, but the, the issue, the issue with the, with the leadership is you're right. We, we are doing reasonably well in Canada. We've still had cases and we, we still have cases. The mm. issue has been from the critics and from a lot of people is, um, Back when this thing started, the argument was, or the, the, what we were being told was, if you were not symptomatic, if you were asymptomatic, you couldn't pass it along. Well, that changed. And then we said we shouldn't close the borders because that would be dangerous. And then we said, no, we really should close the borders. And then we said, you shouldn't wear a mask because that's going to make it worse. And then we said, no, you should wear a mask. And it seems like almost every single bit of advice that we've been given has either been really late or has flipped from the original position. And um, obviously, I understand that, you know, politics is a part of this, but Michelle Rempel, the conservative health critic, she said this, with this becoming a habitual pattern, I worry about Canadians losing trust in the agency, and therefore I worry about compliance longer term. That's my issue. Whether you worry about the trust, Scott, I worry about the compliance that people become so confused and so doubtful about what they're hearing. They say, ah, screw it. I'm just going to do whatever I want, whatever I think is best. Well, we've seen the danger of that uh, in the United States. Of the chant has been "follow the science, follow the science, follow the science," right? And uh, and that's what we should do. But as we know, the science is just really catching up to this uh, virus and and figuring out what it can and can't do and how it uh, how it moves. It, it is probably one of the most difficult health questions we faced in, in the last fifty years. And uh, trying to figure out how this thing develops, moves, changes, is really um, been a challenge, especially under the time constraint that uh, has been imposed on researchers and scientists to come up with a vaccine ASAP. That's, that's not generally how science works, but I think they've done a remarkable job getting to where they are in, in uh, human clinical trials as quickly as we have. So you're right, Scott. I, I think people are going to be questioning, well, who do I listen to and mm. what do I do? But I think if we go back to the, the start of this and follow the simple rules that were out there in the beginning, wear a mask, wash your hands, keep a distance, um, we're going to get through it. The, yeah, I mean, one of the other real challenges that comes from this is that I'm not sure that in every single step along the way the World Health Organization has acquitted itself perfectly. And yet that's who we're looking to. And we kind of have to look to, I think like we, we either follow the World Health Organization all in, I think, or we say, no, we don't buy what you're telling us. So we're going to do our own research, but we seem to be one foot in the pool and one foot out of the pool with the World Health Organization, which I, I'm not sure that is the solution. You, you kind of have to buy it or you don't. I think I agree with you there. You're either in for a penny or in for a pound, you know. Um, and yes, the World Health Organization, as you point out, uh, hasn't had a stellar record so far during this pandemic. But uh, part of that, I think, was because uh, of, of the Republican administration that ran interference every time, every opportunity it could uh, to downplay the pandemic and uh, say that, uh, you know, it was fake news, false disease, it was going away. All that sort of stuff uh, certainly took its toll on the on the World Health Organization as well. Um, I think, really, we're doing okay. And here in Canada, 
yes, the mortality rate is slightly higher than uh, it is in some other countries and not nearly as bad as it is in in some. Um, The only two nations that seem to be beating this thing back down to zero at the moment are Australia and New Zealand. And uh, they have uh, something of an advantage of geography being displaced. I mean, it's hard to, to keep things under wraps in Europe when you have, you know, so many countries uh, all exchanging different rules, different uh, closures, different uh, sets of, of restrictions. And uh, here in North America, where, again, we have uh, a massive population uh, concentrated on a single continent, it's hard to, to keep it under control in that in that sense. But I, I think we're headed in the right direction, and I, I feel fairly confident that by the summertime, we may be able to get out and enjoy it again. Let me throw one other quote at you, and this is from the um, president of the Ontario Nurses Association. Her name is Vicki McKenna. And she is upset because she says, look, we should have learned, we were the front lines for when SARS happened back in 2002, 2003. We should have learned from this and we should have learned, especially with the frontline workers, that when there's any question at all about something, we should take the path of most caution, of greatest caution. And she says, so much of this could have been prevented. It really makes me angry. The major lessons of SARS is that until the science is clear, you err on the side of caution. Um, you know, I, look, I, the, the challenge of that is, I, I suppose if you're going to take that to the fullest degree, you say, well, then we should have been in a full on lockdown since March right across the board. I, I, and that's unrealistic, but for the frontline workers, for the other people, is she right? Should we have assumed the worst and provided all that? the possible things they needed and then said, well, if it turns out that it's not that, at least we went to the nth degree anyway? Uh, in a perfect world, yes, she is right. Um, it's not a perfect world. And as in anything, we, we, we tend to forget the lessons of history as soon as we learn them. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, Absolutely. And, and so uh, it, it shouldn't really be a surprise that we've forgotten all about SARS and, and what it did. But yes, uh, as I say, in a perfect world, she's right. We should have, have erred on the side of caution right from the beginning. But there are so many uh, factors involved in that, uh, whether it be commerce or politicians, political considerations, or just in terms of sheer logistics and uh, supplies and that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, you can't anticipate everything. And countries and nations and, and global economics don't turn on a dime. Um, so when something pops up like this and moves so quickly, it's not really a surprise that we didn't get on top of it immediately and clamp down as hard as we should have. On a total tangent, uh, I always find it funny that people always cite that line about those who forget history are condemned to repeat it, and yet nobody can remember who actually said that, <laughs> which, I, which I just, I had to look it up now because even I forgot philosopher George Santayana. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, I, that, that's, uh, so I, I forgot my history and I'm probably condemned to forget it again on, on his name. Uh, you know, it, it is a, it is an incredibly challenging thing. There's absolutely no question about it. I, um... 
My fear is the same fear though, that Michelle Rempel has not the part about like, I, I'm really trying to remove politics from this because I think it's unhelpful in a lot of ways for the political side of this. And, and, you know, the world health organization, one of the problems they got into early on was politicizing this in a certain way by, you know, going to China and kind of saying, oh no, everything's good here. And, and sounding like they were trying to appease China. That was a dangerous thing for them. Pol- politics makes the politics muddies the water. But my fear is that when you do have all these conflicting messages that ultimately seem to flip back the other way to the very thing they told us not to do or that were unnecessary, you are going to, if not already, make people eventually say they don't know what they're doing. And so why listen? That's that's my fear out of this. Let let me throw this out at you, 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 Scott, just, just, you know, for the sake of it. Um, You know, we've been told once upon a time, that coffee would give you liver cancer. We've decided yes. it won't. Uh, we've decided that uh, fat was terrible. Then we decided that trans fat was terrible. Then yep. we decided red wine. That, you know, yeah, wine. You, you know, you name it. How many different things over the years have we gone back and forth on and said, no, this is really terrible for you? And then said, well, you know what? It's not really that bad. Or, or vice versa. This isn't really that bad for you, but. It, uh, tobacco uh, being the major example, and then turning around saying, yeah, it'll kill you. So it's one of those things, uh, it's just human nature, it's just uh, the world as it is. You can't nail things down necessarily hard and fast forever. Uh, that's that's the beauty and the terror of science at the same time. You It advances and you find out things you didn't know before. And so all we can do is go on best information at the time and hope for the best. Let me throw another COVID situation at you, another COVID story that we learned today. Um, A week or two ago when the Los Angeles Dodgers won the World Series, some people who were watching the final game or heard the story, in the eighth inning of that game, a COVID test came back because they were always testing the players. And Justin Turner, who was the third baseman for the Los Angeles Dodgers, suddenly they discovered that he had a positive test. And in the middle of game six of the World Series, they yanked him off the field and said, you can't play, you got to go into quarantine. The Dodgers won that game, won the World Series, it was, you know, every player who's been on that team, it's their dream moment. It's what they've lived for all their life and put thousands of hours into. And Justin Turner, against medical advice and everything else, ran back on the field and sat with the team and posed for a photo with the trophy, which some people, the very extreme, said he should be banned from baseball for life. And others have said, you know, a variety of other things. Today, baseball announced he's not going to be penalized. I'm sure he got a stern lecture but there's not going to be a penalty. Agree or disagree? Um, I, I gotta say, I gotta say, I I agree that he, he shouldn't be penalized. I mean, that is a human moment. Um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And exactly. I, I, can't, I cannot fault the guy for and his teammates embracing him at the same time. I, I cannot fault him. For, for going to experience the thing that he has dedicated his life to. Uh, I mean, to, to say that, no, you can't, uh, when he's been with the team for the entire game and the dugout and everything else, seems a little bit ridiculous. I mean, if he plays six innings and sitting with them and, and working with them and the entire day um, is another hour on the field really going to make or break the, the scenario? I don't know. 
I'm I Scott, see Scott I am I'm surprised I'm not surprised but I'm I'm glad to hear you say that cuz I so many people have been outraged by this today and you're right on two fronts the first is he had played 8 innings with this team and been with them all day long it's different if he had been in quarantine for three days or something because they found it long before and he left the hotel and grabbed an Uber and came down to the park and jumped on the field while he was showing symptoms or something. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. And the second is, forget baseball for a second. We're much more um, emotionally, I think, connected to the Stanley Cup and the idea of skating around the ice with the Stanley Cup. It's something most of us thought about or have pictured in our minds imagine you win the stanley cup and they tell you with five minutes left in the third period oh you've tested positive you can't take your turn with the cup and have that moment i think almost everybody if they were being totally honest would say are you kidding no chance no chance i'm going out there i may not drink from it because i don't want to pass it on but i'm getting my picture taken with the cup i'm having my moment it's you're right i love what you how you describe it's a human moment that's what it is yeah, you can't you can't penalize the guy for being human. I mean, that's uh, that's ridiculous. That's that's extreme. Um, yeah, a stern chewing out, sure, go ahead, and and hopefully uh, nothing serious from from his uh, exposure will come to the rest of his teammates or anyone that was with him. But my guess is, if he'd already spent the majority of the day with them, uh, that time on the field after it was all over probably is a moot point. There's one other little side bit to this story as well. And I think there's a lesson in here as well. And it's, you know what, it probably was stupid for him to do it, but I completely understand. But there's the other point is from all accounts, this guy's never been suspended, never been in trouble in baseball, has always seemingly been a, you know, a good citizen and everything else. It's, It's amazing how much slack people will cut you now and then if by and large, you're not a jerk and you know what, when you do make a mistake, people will, will understand a whole lot more than if he'd been a guy who was known for being a hothead or throwing at people or sliding in spikes up or whatever else. I mean, if you're a good guy, you're going to get a break. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, you know, if you're the terror of, of the diamond, yeah, you might not get the same kind of break, but I think that's people evaluating, uh, others and their own you're willing to forgive if if people are are willing to forgive you Uh, in every facet of life don't have to be a baseball player absolutely absolutely and yeah i i cannot say that this guy was wrong to to indulge in that human passionate moment at the time that i can't say he was wrong in doing that the scott radley show weekday evenings from six to eight on 900 chml Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.